The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us on a Sunday morning, we would love to have you be our guest. Service times are 9 and 11 a.m. We hope you'd consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting a donation amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's Word. Hey, good morning, ACF Church. I'm so glad to see you guys. Glad to be back here this week uh, in our series, God in the Manger. Josh Talbot, Pastor Josh, kicked us off last week, did an awesome job. I was able to be out of town but still listen to him uh, on the podcast. And so uh, I just love that, being able to catch up with our church and not even be here. So uh, good to see you guys this week. We are in this series, God in a Manger. And, and kind of the premise behind this series is, is who was in the manger? It's a big question uh, this season as people are talking a lot about Christmas and Jesus. Jesus a little bit. And and, uh, the question is, who was this baby? Was he just a man? Was he a good teacher? Um, Did he just do some really good things? Or was he actually God incarnate? And if he was actually God incarnate, then that changes everything for us. And so that's kind of the premise of this series. We're just hitting some different themes of the Christmas season and discussing these themes through the lens of Jesus Christ in the manger. And so um, that's kind of where where we're at. This Christmas Eve, you guys, is going to be really fun. We're working on a lot details for that. Be praying and think about who you're going to bring this year. It's kind of a, a, a tradition for a lot of people to go to church on Christmas Eve. It's a time of year where inviting people to church is very easy. And so if you're kind of uncomfortable with it, make sure you invite somebody to Christmas Eve, grab a ticket for them. And if you're wondering the tickets, again, they're not for sale. We just, we literally run out of room in this place every Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve. And so we want to know how many people are going to each service. So it helps us to figure out seating. So make sure you get a ticket so that you actually have a seat in the room. Uh, on Christmas Eve. So grab tickets. Next week, we're talking about God and the redemption. And I've been working on what I'm going to say next week. Very excited about that. It's one of the most key pieces to this whole series. And so I hope to see you back next week for that. Um, we also launched something called Hashtag ACF Wish, which is this initiative online on social media for us to be sharing our wishes and our dreams and hopes this Christmas season. Um, it's just a very simple way of us just to be able to, as a community online, to be able to hear about needs, hear about our prayers and our dreams this Christmas season. There's a lot of things that maybe you share with your family, but uh, outside of that, we don't really know how to pray for you. Or even just simple things of sharing, hey, I want this or that for Christmas is kind of fun. And I already know people are perusing ACF Wish to find out what to buy for you for Christmas. I've already heard stories of that. So excited about that. In fact, I want to share a few of these real quick that have come up on ACF Wish. Um, you throw that first one up. This is one that I thought that was that was pretty good. This is a Chase. He just says, this Christmas, I want my dad to be healed from cancer. Hashtag ACF wish. I just actually talked to Chase before the service, and uh, his dad has lymphoma, and he's been struggling with that. Chase was over there this past week, able to spend some time on the East Coast with him. And so what we're going to do as a church is we're going to pray for Chase's dad. So would you just bow your heads and pray with me? Jesus, we, we pray for um, the Spears family. Pray for Chase as, as a son. Seeing his dad go through this is very difficult. And, Father, we pray your peace on the family, on a sister as she cares for their dad, God, and on Chase's dad as he's struggling through um, just having his body shutting down and, and things not working the way they're supposed to work. Father, I know that's frustrating and hard for any man. And, God, I just pray your grace on him. And just we do ask for healing. Father, would you heal his body? And we could just see a miracle and give you all the praise for that this season. We pray it in your name. Amen. 
Amen. Uh, very cool. And so before we do the next one, I just want to see, is Andrew Gashard in the room? Andrew, come here, Andrew. Sorry. Give Andrew a hand. We're going to call him up. We're going to embarrass him. So one of the things that we put out on uh, ACF Wish are just Christmas wishes. So uh, throw up Andrew's real quick. Uh, Andrew wished for a red Ritter BB gun and Merry Christmas, Andrew. So thanks, Andrew. That's what we're all about here. Making dreams come true as a church. A red Ritter BB gun. We're going to get you some tutoring as well next week. So I love you, buddy. Don't shoot your eye out. Yeah. Parental supervision. Amber, watch him with that, would you? I don't know if that was a good good idea or not. Um, the last one that we have I wanted to share with you guys, an ACF wish. Jared says, ACF wish, hashtag dad moments. Have you guys had some good moments with your family this year already? Um, I hope you have. I hope that you take the time to notice God this Christmas in your family and in all the blessings of your life and just to appreciate all the things that God gives you. Uh, I just pray that you guys have little dad moments, little mom moments, uh, moments with your family and friends and parents and just recognize the blessings in your life this Christmas season. Our goal is this month, this month that every one of you would take a moment, get on your phone. You can do it during church. I'm not going to judge you. Don't worry. I'm sure you're reading your Bible. Um, get on Facebook, get on Twitter, do something and uh, hashtag an ACF wish during church and uh, let people know what your wish is this year. So get on there. But this week we're talking about God in the mystery. God is found in the mystery. Last week, uh, Josh talked about finding God in the waiting and that we have this anticipation. And so on your seat, who has your box? Hold up your box. You guys got a Christmas gift. Don't open it. Don't open it. It's killing you. And you're shaking it, you know, you're trying to figure out a way to get in without actually opening it up. Don't open the box here. We will get to the box at the end. But you're going to have to wait because you learned how to wait last week. And now you're dealing with mystery. So what's in the box? This Christmas season, you know, we always talk about presents and, and there's so much mystery and excitement in what's underneath the tree. Do you guys remember just being so excited about seeing what's underneath the tree and you're looking at the size of the boxes and you're thinking about your list and you're like, you're trying to figure out what's in the box. And this mystery builds all of this excitement and anticipation. And in fact, growing up as a kid, we made an art form out of being able to open our presents without getting caught. Did you do this? Anybody else? If you get a razor and you cut the tape, Right on the edge, you can actually unwrap your gift, see what you got, and then wrap it back up, and nobody knows. It's so cool. So we made an art form of this as children. We uh, we hated having uh, a mystery on Christmas morning, so you had to work on your fake happy face, like, oh, yeah, I'm so surprised, you know? But you knew what it was the whole time. And in fact, my mom started figuring this out, that we were searching for the presents. And she she caught us once and she said, you know, what I'm going to do is if you find the presents before Christmas Day, I'm just going to take them back to the store. That was my mom's way of fixing this. I'm going to take them back to the store if you find the presents, which was code for if you find the presents, don't tell mom. And, and, And that's what we did. So we, we wanted to dispel the mystery, we wanted to get away from the mystery, find out what we had before we were actually able to get it. For many of you, mystery is an enemy when it comes to life. Do you guys like mystery? Raise your hand. Any people like mystery? Do you like surprises in life? Some of you like surprises. Some of you would say, I hate surprises with a passion. 
We, we, we struggle with surprise. We struggle with mystery. And part of the problem is what mystery does is mystery reminds us that we're not in control. And, and that's part of why we don't like it. We like to be in control. We like to know what's coming before it gets here. But here is the real God honest truth this year and every year is that life is mysterious and God is mysterious. Life is mysterious and God is mysterious. And we struggle with that. We struggle with the mysteries of life. We want to figure it out before we get there. We want to know what's coming before it comes here. And, and the problem is it never works out. There's always things that surprise us no matter how much information we have. And then God is mysterious. And you may say, well, Brian, we have the Bible. We have the Bible, and that's our way of dispelling the mystery of God. But unfortunately, it's just not the case. I've read the whole book, and I've got to tell you, it doesn't answer every question I've got. It just doesn't. It, it doesn't answer all of our questions. We still have questions. There's still mysteries. There's still things that I ask God late at night. Why God? Why this? Why that? Why do you do things the way that you do? It's hard. We want to control our lives. We want to know what's coming before it gets here. And we want to kill the mystery. But like I said, life is mysterious. God is mysterious. And I really believe that God wants to speak to us this season, this Christmas season, through the mystery I believe that he's in the mystery, that he's involved and intricately involved with the things in your life that you want answers for. And you may not get the answers that you want, but God is with you in that. And in those moments, God can be so close and so real. And I believe he wants to reveal himself to us through that. Mysteries. And, and you know, I was flying this last, uh, this last week. I was flying out of Boston to Maine. I got on this airplane. And, uh, you know, when you get on a plane and you're like, this thing should have been decommissioned like 20 years ago, you know, and, and I'm kind of a scared flyer. I just, I get nervous and kind of sweaty palms when I get on an airplane anyway. And so I get on this plane and as I'm walking down the aisleway, you know, you can see like the carpet is kind of worn down from the tracks and I'm like, ah, it's bothering me. And then I look up above and you know, the, the overhead compartments have scuffs and stuff all of them over, over them from the thousands of bags that have been put up in there, you know, and I'm just sweating and I'm nervous and I sit down in my seat and I'm looking out of the wing and there's like footprints along the wing and they're testing the flaps and there's like hydraulic I'm I'm a mechanic and so I'm like checking everything you know I don't know anything about airplanes but I'm like fluid is bad I don't want to see fluid on the lines underneath the wing and so I'm just I'm I'm getting nervous and we're getting ready to leave and you know they have the little screens that come down for the safety briefing you know instead of the the flight attendant they're like hey watch the screen and so the the screens come down and it kicks on and then pew it kicks off and I'm already uncomfortable and it kicks on again and then it kicks off and the flight attendant she's cracking up about this and I am just angry i'm like i don't want to be on this airplane right now and it kicks on again and then static like some horror movie on this airplane and i just want to get off i don't want mystery on my airplane i want boring i want to get on the plane i want to fly to where i'm going and i want the most boring uneventful trip because i'm hovering thirty thousand feet above the ground in a tin can and i get nervous mystery makes me nervous i don't I don't like it. It bothers me. But, you know, kids, they get this. They are okay with mystery. Kids, kids deal with mystery. Their eyes are so wide. If you ever look at the the eyes of a baby, they're so wide because everything around them is new. And they know that they haven't figured this world out. They just got here, you know. And so they're so into everything. And if a baby, you know, they see your hand and they just they look at the little lines on your hand and they're so into it because they don't understand it. But they want to learn, you know. 
I think there's something for us to learn from children this year. We want to kill the mystery because we feel like we can control our lives. And if we understand all of the the things that are going on, maybe I can protect myself. Because at some point as a kid, what happens is you get burned by the mystery. You ever been burned by what you didn't know? And you go, I wish I would have known that. And so what you learn to do is get information, try to kill the mystery. But I think God wants to find us in the mystery this season. So we're going to pray. We're going to open God's word and talk a little bit more about this. Jesus, I just ask for you to be here. Father, I pray that you would speak um, to our hearts. God, that anything that I say that, that uh, isn't from you, Father, you just let it disappear. And God, that, that you would speak to us through your word, Father, and change our hearts. We want to leave this place different, having interacted with our Savior. We pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. So you guys can open up your uh, your inserts or if you have an iPhone or an Android, you can find the ACF Church app and, and download that right there. But we're going to be hanging out in First Corinthians chapter two this morning, talking about the mystery. And so you can open up to that on your phone or you can look at the Bible in front of you. There's a, there should be a Bible underneath the seat. And if you don't have a Bible, you can take that home with you. Just take a Bible home if you don't have it. Uh, that's just our gift to you. But First Corinthians chapter two. Verse one is where we're going to begin. And and this is Paul writing this letter to the Corinthian church. And the Corinthian church was one messed up place. It was a messed up church. I'm so glad the church is perfect today, but it was messed up back then. It was a mess. And he spends a whole first chapter talking about disunity within the church and the problems that he's having. And he's just he's just admonishing them to 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 trust in Jesus and the message of him. And so they in fact, this place was so immoral and there was, they had two different gods. The, the first god that they had was Poseidon, who was the god of the sea that they worshipped. And the other was Aphrodite, the god of sexual love. And uh, they would worship these gods. And, and that was part of the issue as Paul was trying to draw them away from that, their idolatry to worship of the one true god. And, and in fact, their worship of Aphrodite was played out in their city. There was close to a thousand prostitutes at the city gates. Can you imagine? You come into Anchorage, a thousand prostitutes hanging out, just waiting for business, you know. And it was part of how they made money. Part of what their city ran on was prostitution and this sexual stuff. And so I was kind of thinking it's maybe like Anchorage during the gold rush, you know. It's kind of very little law and just this different approach. And people are just coming, trying to make money and uh, just a lot of issues sexually in the city. And in fact, there was a term that they used in the surrounding communities where if you were somebody who was immoral, what they called you was you are a Corinthian. And so it was kind of a demoralizing term. It's like, oh, those stinking Corinthians, you know, it means it means that you are you are an immoral person. And so if somebody cuts you off in traffic. You can call them a Corinthian. And then instead of getting in trouble with your children, it's a teaching moment, you know, and you can tell them all about the Corinthians. But it meant that you lived an immoral life to be a Corinthian. Chapter two, verse one, it says in one eye and I, Paul, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. So he starts off by saying, listen, guys, I am just here to try to communicate the gospel message to you. It's not about what I say. He's saying everything that I say is in submission to this grander message. It's all about the message of Jesus. And I would say that to you this morning, that everything that we do here in church, everything about what we do is all about the gospel message of Jesus. Everything is in submission to that. All the music that we do, all of our volunteers, all of the way that we do church is all about the message of Jesus. And he's saying the lofty speech doesn't cut it. 
It's not going to cut it. For me to articulate this some special way, it's not going to cut it. It's not going to convince you because what's going to happen is you're going to realize that there's a tension between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of man. And this is kind of the theme of this is the the separation, the tension between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of man. Verse two, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in the weakness and in fear and much trembling in my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. He says, I decided to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. He's boiling everything down. All of the theology that he knows as an educated man down to a very simple thing. Jesus Christ and him crucified. He's saying this is the lens by which we look at everything in life. We need to start with this. And this is a divisive message. It's a divisive message because Jesus, if he is their Messiah, should not have been crucified. The Jews, it didn't make sense to them that he would come and hang on a cross. What a demoralizing death for a king, for a Messiah. And so it didn't make sense for them. And he's saying there's going to be no wisdom by man's wisdom in my message. If you try to, if you try to determine the truth of what I have to say based on man's wisdom, it's going to look like nonsense. It's going to look like craziness. He's saying, boiling it all down, it's just about Jesus Christ and him crucified. So here's the question. For the Jews and the Greeks, was God in the manger? Or was it just a man? Was it really God in the manger? Verse 5. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He's saying the wisdom of men is going to fall apart. It's not going to sustain you. I want to give you the power of God. And the question is, how do you determine if something is truth? What do you use to decide if something is true? Again, is it, is it how well I articulate it? Do you look at the world today and all of the worldviews that are coming at you through media and through the church even and say, well, whatever is articulated best, whatever makes, um, whatever makes the most sense in my head, is what I'm going to trust is truth. Or is there a deeper way of determining truth? Is it about emotions? Like if you get all stirred up and excited in church today, you know, or maybe during the music, you get, you, you get tears in your eyes. Is that how you determine? Because you can get tears in your eyes at a Taylor Swift concert, and that doesn't mean there's any truth going on there. I mean, tr- tears don't necessarily mean anything. Emotion doesn't necessarily mean anything. What do you use to determine what is the truth? There's the wisdom of God and the wisdom of men. For the Jews, what they wanted was signs. They wanted signs. They wanted wonders. They wanted miracles. And, you know, even as we see in the life of Jesus, he gave them miracles. And and for many, still, that wasn't even enough. You know, and then there's the Greeks. And the Greeks, what they want is knowledge. They want information. And they use whatever just makes the most sense based on the information that they have. You know, and, and we're like that as Americans, we're more of a Greek mentality and we just look at the information. We, we study, we go, okay, X, Y, Z, we add it all together and we go, this is the outcome I want. So I can put all this information in to my head and then make a decision based on that. The thing is the wisdom of God looks like foolishness. The wisdom of God looks like foolishness. If you're going to be a believer in Jesus, if you're going to follow the things of God, you're going to have to deal with a dissonance in your head, a tension between what you knew as the wisdom of men and what is the wisdom of God. And if you're a Christian for any amount of time, you know this tension is hard to deal with. There's moments in your life where you go, this doesn't make any sense. This is a struggle. 
As Jesus talks about the kingdom in his life, he, he tells about all these different things that are upside down from the, what the world says. He changes things. It, it's not going to make sense sometime. What do you live for? Do you live for the wisdom of men or the wisdom of God? The wisdom of men says make the most of yourself. The wisdom of God says make the most of me. The wisdom of men says live for today. The wisdom of God says live for eternity. The wisdom of men says live for yourself. Save yourself. The wisdom of God says save others. See, there's a tension. It doesn't make sense. It's going to take a twist and a new turn in your worldview to follow the wisdom of God. And this is so huge for me. This is so huge. Verse 6, six says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which we decreed before the ages for our glory. He said, among the mature we part, impart wisdom. Who are the mature in this situation? The mature are just simply people who are willing to listen They're, and willing to apply the word of God. They're willing to learn and willing to grow. Are you somebody who's mature and willing to learn, willing to grow, willing to hear the word of God? And he says the wisdom of this age will pass away. The rulers will pass away. It's all going to go away, but the wisdom of God will be eternal. And I was thinking, what is, how do we determine the wisdom of our age? Like, what is it today in my life that I use to determine the wisdom of today? And I, I realized it's, it's three things. I, I create wisdom through what I see, through what I hear, and through what I think. Through what I see, what I hear, and what I think, right? You, it's, this is kind of how we determine what's right in life, what is true. Is we go, well, I see this, and I hear this. And I think this, and that's how I determine what I do. And unfortunately, if you've ever been in any of those situations, you've realized that, you know, what you see isn't always what actually is, right? And the things that you hear aren't always the truth, and the things that I think certainly aren't always right. And so there's got to be a different kind of wisdom. There's got to be something more for us to use to determine the truth in this, this world today. And I know maybe what some of you are thinking is, is, one of the biggest criticisms of the church is that to be a Christian, what you need to do is shut off your brain, right? What you need to do is shut off all logic and all fact, and you just need to have this blind faith. And while there's some truth there, there is some blindness to our faith, some things that we don't understand. The reality is you don't have to shut off all the truth. What you, what you really have to do is have this new perspective on truth. But what we're really doing is we're not shutting off truth or ignoring truth. We are just acknowledging the author of truth. And that's Jesus. It comes back. Like he says, I'm going to know one thing in all my decisions of life is Jesus Christ and him crucified. If you guys use that, if we use that as the way that we make decisions, as the way that we determine what's right or wrong in our world, it's amazing how many things that that answers. It's amazing how much peace we can get in the mystery of life if we just go, I know one thing. Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's stuff happens in your world that doesn't make sense as you're going, God, God, why would you allow this? Why is this this way? You come back to Jesus Christ and him crucified. There's peace there. So much peace there. You don't have to shut off your brain to follow Jesus. It's just a different kind of perspective. You come back to the author of all truth. And, and in reality, honestly, if you're not a Christian, there are decisions that you make that don't make sense by the world's wisdom. We do this all the time. 
Married people, if you're married, it doesn't really make sense by the world's wisdom. And there's all kinds of people that, that don't follow Jesus. They get married. They do it all the time. They get married and they commit themselves to this one relationship for the rest of their lives and, and get, out, get this house together and, and get finances together. And then at some point, if it doesn't work, there's a divorce and then it's very messy and it's a problem. Why not just stay single, you know? It really singleness or just dating and, and going from person to person makes a lot more sense by the world's wisdom. But really, there's something in people that wants this committed relationship. They want this long term safety within a marriage. And it doesn't really make sense by the world's wisdom. But there's something in our hearts that knows it's right. That it knows we know that this is what God wants for us. And as a non-believer, there's just some there's maybe some peace in knowing that there's safety in this committed relationship. Or if you've ever chosen to let yourself love somebody, if you've ever allowed yourself to love someone and be loved, honestly, love doesn't make sense by the world's wisdom. Because if you love somebody, that means you're going to get hurt. That means you're not protecting yourself. You're not taking care of yourself. And the world's wisdom says, take care of yourself. Do what's best for you. And so allowing yourself to be in a loving relationship doesn't really make sense. It sets you up for a lot of problems, a lot of issues, or a lot of blessings. And we would say in the church that love is something God created. He invented love. It's not that we deny it. It's that we know that God is the author of these things. Christians, what we get is something called the wisdom of the spirit. We get the wisdom of the spirit. As we choose to follow God, what we find out is that God resides in our hearts. It's called the Holy Spirit. He does three things. He teaches us. He convicts us. And he helps us to discern things. He teaches us, convicts us, and discerns within our hearts. It's what the work of the Spirit is. He teaches us, helps us to understand life in different ways, helps us to have a new perspective on the things in front of us. He convicts us of sin. If you've ever, if you follow Jesus, you know that there's this discomfort comfort that happens. And as we follow him, all of a sudden things that used to be okay, all of a sudden aren't okay anymore. It changes things. He discerns things. All of a sudden we have this new perspective and and things we see through the veneer into people's lives and into situations. We have this whole new way of seeing the world. That's how we get this wisdom of God is through the work of the spirit in our lives. It said in verse seven, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. This is kind of an interesting term, the secret and hidden wisdom. Wisdom, and, and we can kind of get off in the ditches if we're not careful with this, um, because for some people, what that means is kind of trying to decode God. You know, it's kind of like, how can I decode the Bible or decode God or find the secret message of Jesus? You know, and it, it can get you off in the ditches if you're not careful. It's not about speaking this special revelation from God. What he's talking about is the wisdom of God found in Jesus. A lot of times in the New Testament, it's talking about mystery. What he's talking about is the mystery of the prophecy of Jesus in the Old Testament, things that just didn't make sense to them, that is fulfilled through Christ. Again, it comes back to Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's like Jesus comes and he makes sense of all of this. Have you guys seen the movie Inception? You get to the end of the movie and it's like, oh, they're sleeping. Sorry, spoiler, spoiler alert. It's they're sleeping. It's it, all of a sudden it all makes sense. You get this one little piece of information and you look back and you go, it all makes sense now. That's what Jesus does for us and for them. We look at Jesus and all of a sudden life makes more sense. First Peter one twenty. I just I saw this verse. I thought it was good. It said Christ was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Christ was chosen. 
He wasn't this last ditch effort to save humanity. Before the creation of the world, God set Christ on this path. He set himself up to be crucified for all of humanity. And then he's been revealed to us for our sake so that we could make sense of some of this stuff, so that we could understand life in this new and powerful way. How's the box? You got it open yet? Don't open the box. Let's skip ahead. Verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Again, drawing this contrast between the spiritual person and the natural person, which begs the question, which one are you? Are you a spiritual person or are you a natural person? Because to a spiritual person, the wisdom of God makes a lot of sense. But to a natural person, it just looks like foolishness. And then the question is, well, if I am a natural person, what do I need to do to be a spiritual person? How do I how do I get this new perspective? And the first thing that it takes is the spirit. It takes the spirit. And the only way to get the spirit is to follow Jesus and to invite him to reside in your heart. It's the only way to get it. So that's the first step. We get the spirit within us. And if you know Jesus today, if you're like, okay, which side of the fence am I on? I'm a, I'm a spiritual person. I know Jesus. I've, I've invited him to, to come into my life and to reign in my heart and to change me and to reside in me. Then you are, you're, 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 you got the spirit. But he's almost drawing this contrast and saying, okay, you can have the spirit, but then there's a spiritual person. You can actually have the spirit and, you know, you can actually deny the spirit. You can ignore the spirit. And and if you've ever done this, I've done this before where I can sense God speaking to me. And I'm I'm like, no, I'm not going to listen. I'm just going to shut it off. I'm going to distract myself. I'm going to watch a movie. I'm going to turn up the music. I'm going to try to do anything but listen to God. And he's saying there's two kinds of people. You can have the spirit, but still operate as a natural person. It's a process. It's not something that happens all at once. It's not something that we just get. We become a spiritual person by walking the road of discipleship. You're here today. Praise God that you're here today. Because we're going to share the word and you're going to hear the gospel message of Jesus. And it's going to hopefully get into your heart and make you a more spiritual person. So that when you're out there living life this week, there's going to be a a different wisdom that you judge the truth by. A different way that you make decisions. And so just showing up to church, being here is part of this process. Reading your Bible. Have you read your Bible? Have you cracked its pages open in the past week or two? That's part of this deal is just actually getting into the word of God, having a a thirst for the word, knowing him better. It's this process of discipleship. Do you hang around people who know Jesus, who are more mature than you are, who know more than you do, who are farther down this path? Do you gravitate towards those people or do they just intimidate you? So you don't want to be around them because they make you feel less mature. That's part of the process is getting around people who are more mature than you are, learning to be a spiritual person. Do you listen to the spirit? What I found in my life is the more that I deny what the Spirit's saying to me, the quieter his voice gets. Have you experienced this? You deny his work. You shut him down enough. You feel conviction and you find a way to not listen to God. And then over time, I feel like his voice just gets quieter and quieter. And one of the best ways to become a spiritual person is just to listen to God. It's going to look like foolishness. 
It's going to look crazy sometimes. Maybe your friends are going to be like, what are you doing, dude? It doesn't make any sense what you're doing. But that is how it's going to look. Solomon wrote this. He says, as you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. It's in Ecclesiastes. You can't understand him. If you're trying to figure God out, I got news for you. You're not going to do it. He's way too big. He can't be contained in the pages of this book that you're holding. The book just merely points us to God, helps us to find out some of who he is. And a lot of people think that the church is where we, you, you go for me to tell you what to think about God. It's where you go where I can just give you the answers and maybe the pastor up front is going to dispel all of the mystery for you and make God make sense to you. But I, unfortunately, I can't do that. There isn't a man alive that can make God make perfect sense to you and dispel all the mystery in your life. And honestly, that wouldn't do anything for you anyway. There's two kind of camps in the church today, I feel like. The first camp is, is this. There's the hyper-intellectual. And, and maybe you are this person or maybe you've known this person that just thrives on information, you know, where they think life is mysterious. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to get all the information that I can. I'm scared of flying. And so I'm going to study airplanes, right? I'm going to figure out how the lift works over the wing. And I'm going to understand exactly how the, the, the engines work to get us up in the air and how the oxygen works. And if I understand how it works, then what I can do is I can protect myself, you know, when really, you know, that if you're in an airplane, you got no control. You can't do anything. If it's going down, you're going down with it. You know, I mean, having more information about it doesn't change anything. But there are these hyper intellectual people who think, well, the more information I get about God, the more I can kind of control him, the more I can control my life. You know, the more I understand about him, the better I feel about things. So they study and they read and they dig up information and they just ooze theology. But maybe their hearts are far from him. You know, knowledge of God is different than love for God. You can know a lot about God and you can, you can not love him. It's a totally different thing. Just like, you know, I could preach up here every week. You guys could come here. You could hear me share my life and God's word. And, and I don't know, I don't know if you realize this, but, but you might not know me at all. You know, you can hear me speak things. You can hear me talk to you and put what I want before you guys. But until you get into my life, you're not going to know me at all. You don't know me as a person. The assumption is maybe, well, I know enough information, I, I know you, but it's not. It's not a personal connection. And so maybe you don't truly know me, just like maybe you don't truly know God by the information that you gain. The other camp is this, the anti-intellectual, where it's like, okay, the most spiritual thing that you can do is just to blindly follow God and not gain any information. In fact, information can be bad because information can be in opposition to faith. And a true faithful person, they don't need any, any information this is also a problem, you know, it's also a problem because if you don't know God's likes and his dislikes, how are you going to truly show your love for him? You know, if you don't understand his heart, who he is, what he does, how he works, then how are you going to follow him and share him with other people? Just like you can spend a lot of time with me, but if you never learn anything about me, if you never hear me when I speak to you and share things about what I love and what I don't love, what hurts me, what gives me joy in life. You just spend a little time around me and hope for a, an emotional connection with me. You don't truly know me. You know, God's the same way. We need both. They're not in opposition to you. information and faith are not in opposition to each other. We need both gain information, seek out information, you know, but love God and know him on a personal and deep level.
I wrote this out because I feel like this is this makes a lot of sense to me. God gives us wisdom through knowledge by way of the spirit so that we might grow in our love for him. God gives us wisdom through knowledge by way of the spirit so that we might grow in our love for him. I think this makes a lot of sense to me because just having the information doesn't do anything for you. Like I said, you can know a lot about God and some of you guys have been in church for years, but you have never truly walked in this this wisdom of God. You've never truly allowed the spirit to reign in your life. You know a lot about him. You can answer a lot of questions. You can throw out a lot of verses, but he doesn't reign in your life. And only you know that. Only you knew that, you know that as you look at your life, as you look at every aspect of what you do in your day, does it look like God is reigning? Does it look like he is gaining traction in your marriage, in your relationship with your kids, the way that you, you work, you know, and in your integrity as you make decisions through the day? Is God reigning in your life? God gives us wisdom through knowledge. We should have knowledge. We should seek knowledge by way of the spirit. He enlightened us through the spirit. The spirit is what makes all that information make sense. If you've ever read the Bible before you were a believer, kind of looks like craziness, right? It's like he's angry, then he's happy, then he's blessing them, then he's killing people. This looks kind of nuts. You know, I don't understand it. Then you look at it front to back and you see Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then things start to make sense. God enlightens you through the spirit and the word starts to make sense. So here's my question. As you guys look at that little box, what does this box represent in your life? What is the mystery right now? You may say the mystery is this sickness in my family, you know? I don't get it. You might say the mystery is, God, why aren't you speaking to me lately? You know, you seem like you're silent. You should be speaking to me. God, where are you? Maybe the mystery is in something with your kids. You know, it's and maybe the mystery is what am I going to do with my life? You know, I just want to plan. I want to know what's coming. I want to have a, a future that's lined out for me, you know, and you don't know. Maybe that's the mystery. What's in the box? What is the mystery for you? Here's a few things, a few ways that I think God wants to work in the mystery this season. The first one is that that mystery builds excitement. I love mystery because it builds excitement. It's a good thing for us. Every good story has an element of mystery. There's some unknown there. There's there's excitement that can be built in the mystery. As you're looking at the box, as you're thinking about the thing that you can't figure out right now in life, there's excitement because God's going to work through that. And I'll tell you, like in my life, as I've kind of grown up and as I get older, I feel like what happens is this tendency to lose the excitement in life. There's this feeling that I've kind of figured life out a little bit. Anybody feel that way? Am I just alone? That's cool. You know, you start to feel like you kind of figured life out. You know, like I've kind of got some answers. I've kind of figured out what life looks like. I don't know. I don't understand everything, but I've kind of, you know, my eyes aren't as wide anymore. You know, I'm not as intrigued by the lines on my hands as I was when I was a baby, you know, you start to gain information, you, you, you go through life, you just kind of get the routine down and you stop getting excited. Are you excited to be here today? Yeah. Yay. Good. I hope you are. I'm excited to be with you guys. Are you excited to come and be part of the family of God? You know, it's mysterious. You don't know what's going to happen every week. It's kind of a cool thing. Every, every Monday I kind of get, I get emails and I get stories of what God does as we gather as a church. That's pretty cool. It's kind of a mystery. I don't know what God's doing in your heart today, but we just keep hearing about God moving in powerful ways, healing relationships, giving people hope. It's mysterious. I can't put my finger on it. I don't know what he's going to do, but I'm excited about it. 
Are you excited about it? I hope you are. Number two, mystery builds awareness. You start to notice the details. You start to be aware of what is around you. You become especially aware. And this is a good thing because we start to, we start to notice the little details. Awareness of ourselves. You know, you, you don't know yourself like you think you know yourself. Do you think you're self-aware? Because the reality is if everybody was self-aware, there'd be no issue with self-awareness. There's a, there's a self-awareness problem. We, we, we are not as aware as we think we are of ourselves. You know, there's things, there's social tics and things that you do that only the people around you notice about you. You know, there's things that you do that you're like, okay, it's, uh, it's uncomfortable, but there are things that you do in a conversation, you know, that you don't know that you do them, but you do them. You know, mystery builds this awareness of yourself, this desire to get to know yourself more and more intimately. It builds awareness of others. You know, you don't know the people around you the way that you think you do. I don't know my wife the way that I think I do. And the the day that I convince myself that I've figured out my wife is the day that I start tearing my marriage apart. You know, because what else is there to do? I figured her out, you know. And if there's anything that I've learned, I've been married for about 11 years now. And if there's anything that I've learned, it's that she's mysterious. She is mysterious. There are things that I don't understand about her. And I think there was a season in my marriage where I kind of felt like I'd figured her out. You know, I felt like there's not anything left to learn. But the thing is, people are changing. The person you're sitting next to right now is a different person than they were when they walked in this door. We change. We just change. And so when you realize there's mystery in life, there's mystery around you, mystery in people, you start to you start to build this awareness. You start to notice things about them, which is a beautiful thing. Awareness of God builds your awareness of him. You know, he's doing things around you. I don't know how much you think about the breath in your lungs and how thankful you are for that. But God is providing that. I don't know how much you think about this world that's spitting at a thousand miles an hour and somehow we're not flying off it. I don't I don't get it. I don't know why somebody in here probably does. I get it. Gravity. But I don't understand the details of that. I don't. There's mystery there. I can't line it all out for you. But God is doing amazing things. There's there's mystery in it. You know, I notice this when I go hunting and I get on a mountaintop and I just look out at this beautiful world that we live in, you know. You might be able to tell me why the sky is orange when it is and, you know, why this tree grows the way it does. And you might be able to figure out all the details, but there's mystery there. And what it does, it causes you to just worship. Say, God, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I can't explain you, but you're doing amazing things every moment. God is working in your story, even when you're not aware of it. He, he's working. Number three, mystery builds curiosity. Curiosity is a good thing. What if you could recapture curiosity? Are you a curious person? Because people that understand life, people that have figured it all out, aren't very curious, you know? There's nothing left to learn. You've kind of figured it out. You've kind of gotten into your routine. But realizing that life is mysterious, God is mysterious, helps us to be curious people to find information. And in this day and age, we have access to so much information. It's just absolutely ridiculous. It's unfortunate how many Christians think they have it figured all out. They've learned all there is to know about God and about life and about faith. And it causes you not to be somebody who's very curious. I want a church of curious people. I want us to be curious people. I want you to open the word and be like, what does God have for me here? What has he got to say to me today? I want you to wake up in the morning curious, excited about what God's going to do in your life. 
I want you to have all of these things. Last thing, number four, mystery builds your character. This one stinks. I don't like that. I don't like character work. I don't want anybody working on my character, but that's what mystery does is it, it works on your character. It challenges you holding that box and not being able to open it. That, that, that's a challenge. That's a struggle, right? It's building your character. It's teaching you about your pride. It's teaching you about how you want to control your life. It's revealing to you that you couldn't control it if you wanted. Control is just an illusion. You can't control it. You can't put one more breath in your lungs today. You don't know if you go outside. You can't control your life. You don't know if your car is going to start. You don't know if you're going to make it home today. You can't control it. It's a mystery. Yay, mystery. It's scary, right? It's scary, but God is in it. And God wants to be with you in the mystery. And he won't answer all your questions for you, but he will be next to you. He will be showing himself to you through the mystery. Do you trust God? Mystery is God's way of asking, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Here's my challenge for you this week. One challenge for you. It's going to kill you. Don't open the box. Don't open the box. That is my challenge to you. Just don't open it at all. I want you to take the box home. I want you to set it on your kitchen counter. Put it in somewhere where you can see it. Maybe you need to hang it on your Christmas tree. I don't know what you, what you, you can do with it, but don't. There's something in it, but I want you to never open the box. And, and when you look at the box, I want that box to represent whatever the mystery is that's going on in your life at that time. And I want you just to think that, that God is good despite that. I want you to remember that he loves you in the mystery. And I want you to come back to one thing, Jesus Christ and him crucified for you. And in that, with that knowledge, like Paul says, we can have peace. When it all comes back to just, sometimes you just have to shut down all of your, all of your information, all of the, trying to figure it out and just say, one thing I know is that Jesus Christ is crucified for me. One thing I know is that Jesus loves me. I want you to consider the biggest mystery of all. Why would God... The creator of all things come to earth, put on the skin of humanity to die for you and for me. That's a mystery. That's a mystery. And that's something worth considering this season. And in that, we're going to see not just a baby or a good teacher in the manger. We're going to see God in the manger. And that will change the season. That will change Christmas for you guys. It will change the whole year. I just want to close. This last week, um, I was gone. My grandfather passed away. Um, Josh may have shared that with you guys. I used to spend every summer with my grandfather, um, last remaining grandparent, and uh, he is a good man. And we just, this last week, we just we went through all his stuff. If you ever, you ever lost somebody, you end up going to their house, and it's just weird digging through somebody's stuff, you know, little trinkets, and you feel almost dirty doing it, you know? Like, it feels almost wrong going through their things, but it's just all part of the deal, and I'm I'm digging through all this stuff and I'm like, I just found myself doubting. Like, is this it? Is this all we get? You know, all of this stuff that to him meant something. But to us, as we go through it, it just looks like junk. You know, he's got these little trinkets, these little plates, you know, things that my grandmother had that he never threw away. You know, just stuff. He's got like a thousand pairs of socks. I'm like, where do you get all the socks? You know, and I'm just going through this stuff going, is this it, God? What if this is it? You know? You ever doubt like that? You're like, what if, what if this is all we get? 
little pieces of junk and then we die. And somebody else sifts through all of our stuff and throws it in a dumpster. You know, what if this is it? I was just sitting there later on that night and I was just, I was thinking about this, struggling with God, kind of wrestling with my doubts. And this passage came to mind. Jesus Christ and him crucified. And there was peace there, you know. And in that moment, as I'm digging through all this stuff and just thinking about the brevity of life, I just, I just realized that Jesus loves us, you know, and that there's something so much greater for us. I really feel like this is the only way to deal with the mysteries of your life. The only way to process through it is just to know one thing. Jesus, he loved you enough to just come, just to put on the skin of humanity, to die a sinner's death so that you might live. And some of you guys have never received this. Some of you guys have never fully understood this and taken this into your heart. Maybe you're like, well, I know a lot about God. I go to church. I can quote a lot of scriptures, but I am a natural person. And when I look at my life, I make decisions based on what makes most sense to me in the moment. And maybe today's the day that you say, no, I am going to trust in Jesus. Maybe you've been in church forever, but you never have. Or maybe this is your first Sunday and you've tried to answer all your questions about God. You're just hoping that maybe I can explain him to you, but I just, I'm sorry, I can't explain him to you. He's bigger than that. But you know in your heart, you've got this, this drive inside of you that says, there is something real here. My prayer for you is that you would receive that today. Is that this morning could be a turning point for you, where you make this exchange, the great exchange, Martin Luther called it, God's righteousness for your sinfulness. You take on God's righteousness, and then your life is different. Jesus Christ and him crucified. I think there's peace in that today. I, I pray that you guys can make peace with the mystery. And you can see that there's God in the manger. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I just want to pray for those in this room that are looking at life confused. And that wonder, God, why are you doing the things that you're doing? God, I want to pray that, Father, that we would see Jesus crucified and we would see your love in a new and powerful way today. God, that we could make peace with the mysteries in our life. God, I pray we wouldn't be lazy. God, I pray we'd seek out information to know you better so that we can love you better, God. That everything we do would drive us deeper and deeper into your heart. But Father, when we can't figure it out, when we can't get the answers, when it doesn't make sense to us, God, will we trust in faith what you've done inside of us? God, that you have saved us from our sin and offered us new life in Christ. God, I pray for those in this room that need to receive that today. God, that need a different grid by which they make decisions, that they'd run their, all of their decisions through the simple fact that you've been crucified for us. God, that you died, was buried, was resurrected. God, and that you aren't just some dead God, but you are alive today, living, breathing. Thanks for your grace, God. We pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.